This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. And indeed, I am Sandy Clough. Sean Rotar is off today and will be returning to us on Friday. I'll be joined in a few moments by Dr. Rick Perea of Think One, and we will delve right into it on this Wednesday afternoon in the Mile High City, 27th day of September 2023. Good to be with you, as always, and we... uh, start today where we sort of finished yesterday. I had made mention of the fact that uh, the Rockies were playing yesterday a day-night doubleheader against the Dodgers, and they went into the day-night doubleheader with 99 losses. And that concerned me a little bit because I felt that the Rockies might sustain their 100th loss in the day portion of the day-night doubleheader, the 110 start out of Coors Field. And I had made a vow with a couple of friends several months ago that, you know, I'm big on history. And no baseball team on any level of the professional variety had ever in the history of Denver baseball lost 100 games in a season. It's a moment in history. Well, I obviously was occupied yesterday during the afternoon hours, so I could not see the first game. And thankfully, as luck, maybe karma would have it, the Rockies actually won the first game of the day-night doubleheader, setting the stage for their 100th loss last night in game two. And indeed, the Dodgers basically finished off the competitive portion of the ball game in the top of the second inning when they scored five runs. Uh, We got there, all three of us, a little bit late. But we got there in time to see the Dodgers score the five runs in the top of the second inning. And uh, at least two of the three of us stayed sitting in the left field bleachers For $2, by the way. That may be the biggest story of all. I am kidding you not. The ticket costs $2. Now, the Rocky Dog and the French fries and the bottled water cost 20 So the way I'm thinking about it, we got a ticket and a reasonable meal with a drink yeah. for 22 bucks. You name me one ballpark today <laughs> in America or in Toronto, for goodness sake. One ballpark hosting Major League Baseball games in which you can get a ticket and a reasonably full meal for $22. I defy you to find any place in the major leagues where you can get that kind of deal. Well, those of us who stayed until the final out, and it was a uh, foul ball hit behind first base, and the wind was blowing in our direction. And, you know, it was kind of a long game. 
especially by today's standards, it, it was under three hours, but just under three hours. So we're sitting there, and it's starting to get a little chilly. And we're, we're, we're saying, come on, win, come on, blow the ball back into play. And indeed, Freddie Freeman, uh, the all-star first baseman, uh, made the catch. And it was the 27th out and the 100th loss for the Rockies. And Dr. Rick Perea has joined me, sitting in for Sean Rotar. And we discussed yesterday the impact of 100 losses on players, and would they even notice? And yes, there were post-game quotes from players who were asked about that. Yeah. And basically said, as you indicated yesterday, it is particularly painful to play on a team that loses so often. And 199 are separated in the mind's eye. Yeah. By more than just one game. Right. 100 is triple digits. It is. And there is a particular disdain held by the public for teams that lose 100 games or more that doesn't apply to teams that lose 99 games, 98 games. Yeah. You know, if I can borrow a page out of an industrial organizational psychologist, one of the jobs they do is they teach uh, merchants and organizations how to price merchandise so it will sell quicker. So, like, I'm looking at the headline in that newspaper, and it says the road to 100. Yes. This now, is the Denver Post. Right, in the Denver Post. Front page of the sports section. And that visual representation of 100 is very different than if it said 99. And it's the same thing in purchasing a, a, a piece of merchandise or a product or a food. It says 1025 versus 999. Right, we're more apt psychologically to buy it if it's nine ninety nine. Oh, that's a bargain. Or nine ninety five versus ten dollars or ten twenty five. And a lot of companies do that. Oh they yeah, price at nine nine nine. Yeah, because that's psychology. That's what I'm trying to say here. Is psychology plays a role in how many games you lose, whether it's a hundred or nine ninety nine, and whether people say, "Well, it's just one game difference." No, it's one game difference quantitatively. But qualitatively, it's more than one game because it crosses a threshold where 99 is horrible, but 100, disastrous. Like, yes. that, that, is, that is just unacceptable on anybody's assessment, anybody's standard. Right. So right. there's, again— There's no excuse now. You, you, quote, can't, you can't blame injuries. No. Now, if you're the New York Yankees this year who— are having their worst year in 31 years, yeah. pretty much in line with the Rockies having their worst year uh, in their 31st season. The Yankees are 80 and 76. Yeah. <laughs> They're in the strongest division probably in baseball, top mm -hmm. to bottom. 80 and 76 by Yankee standards is 95 loss to 99 loss territory. Yeah. But I don't know that it's disastrous. Right. The manager will probably be back next yep. year. The general manager will almost certainly be back next year. There won't be anything approaching a kind of earthquake within the Yankee right. front office or even down on the field. And, you know, they're stuck with some bad contracts that they probably can't get rid of. But I was listening 
uh, today, or actually reading, uh, a piece on the Yankees' lost season. And Aaron Judge is quoted as saying, you know, just weird things started to happen to us, and we had injuries. And so, and 80 and 76, okay, you can talk about injuries and say we would have won 90 games and might have been in the playoff hunt with 90 wins. Because you would be with 90 wins, and they've got 80. They're 80 and 76. Most people thought they'd be 90 and 66 by now at worst. And they were picked at the start of the season as a 10.5% possibility to, I believe, get to the World Series. I'm not, and it, I don't think it was win the World Series, but at least get there. And that, that was the highest percentage chance given any American League team before the season began. Injuries, well, the Rockies have had injuries, but you can't explain 57 and 100 just by citing injuries. And the headline of the piece that we just talked about in the Denver Post today, the road to 100, the subhead, the omens, injuries, ugly defeats that led to the worst season in franchise history, and Kyle Newman's lead is the 2023 Colorado Rockies are officially infamous. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good lead. Yeah. They are officially now infamous. And we we used to argue for years, which would happen first? The Rockies win the National League West or the Rockies lose 100 games? And I said it's, it's 50 to 1 they'll lose 100 games before they win the National League West. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. And you could say the same thing, I suppose, about finishing first. But given the Rockies' history and the fact that virtually every year out of the 31 years they played, they finished behind the Dodgers. Standings, I think 29 or 30 times they finished behind the Dodgers. So yeah. if you can't finish ahead of the Dodgers, you certainly can't finish first in the National League West. So it, it, it really comes down to a lot of things and appropriately the 100th loss is 11 to two in which even young kids are being let out of the park by their parents in the fifth or sixth inning and not because it's their bedtime. Right. You know, one thing I want to finish about the psychology of numbers of the quantitative assessment is that going back to pricing, you know, you buy it, you buy a meal that's nine ninety five versus ten twenty five. <laughs> right. We think we're getting a bargain. There's psychology yeah. in that. There's mental process in that. There's visualization in all that. And so to to um, address the text messenger we had yesterday, who had talked about there's no psychology to X Y Z. What he referred to. Right. It's there's psychology in everything we say and do. And here's an example of we lose a hundred games. It's going to be a visual representation from now until opening day next year, and they'll be talking about it opening day next oh, year and losing perhaps games. beyond a opening and, day because there's always the chance they might do it again. Yeah, and so hey, it's hey. it's it, we do not underestimate the power and influence of psychology and the influence on the way we think, feel, and behave. I'm telling you, numbers, quantitative assessments influence us every day in our purchasing, in our decision-making, in relationships, cars we purchase. I mean, I can go on and on. Homes we purchase. And, you know, losing 100 baseball games in one season, I think officially qualifies to me as a disaster. Because I'm telling you what, 
even if you have average talent, even below average talent, you can still take energy, effort, and attitude. We call it EEA. And if that's on point every day, you're going to at least be somewhat competitive. You so are, I, I think the Rockies have to answer to, to, to the fans of Denver because absolutely. this is not acceptable. Uh, absolutely. And, and you were around the Rockies in, in a year, quite frankly, in which they lost more than they won, but nothing close to this. No. Uh, nothing close no. to 100 losses. And you said the clubhouse mood that year really set the stage for the next two years. It did. Uh, when the Rockies went to the playoffs. First yeah. time and only time so far in their history that they made the playoffs for two successive years. Yeah. And, you know, I will, t- I will say this. this the, the future of baseball in terms of the clubhouse is, is performance psychology. When you have psychologists in there to help, you know, managers understand your clubhouse and how to get, you know, the interaction, the human interaction piece of, of cohesion and working together to its maximum level and not let these factions originate. You know, I did some work with the Arizona Diamondbacks too. And I going in their clubhouse was completely different quite well, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, they are, (laughs) you know, and you see these different clubhouses, different locker rooms and you have energy in there and you don't have energy. So in the future, Sandy, and it may be 20 years from now, performance psychologists will be infiltrating all these sports not in a pathological way, like what's wrong with your quarterback is confidence. What's wrong with your star running back? It's how to implement practices and protocols in a proactive way to increase focus, increase uh, focus and concentration, and to enhance collaboration and cohesion on the team so we can perform at peak levels. It'll be proactively instead of reactively, and that's the future of pro sports and psychology. In this piece on the Yankees I was reading, uh, the owner, the billionaire, Hal Steinbrenner, son of the late George Steinbrenner, now owning the Yankees, made some comments that it indicated he, he had brought in an outside organization or a consulting firm mm. to take a look at how the Yankees operate, which yeah. uh, sounds pretty smart. But he also made a, a, a judgment that, he thought the analytics department was underperforming. Now, the firm he brought in may reach a different conclusion, but he's right. already put that out there. There was no mention made. Analytics has talked about plenty in the piece. No mention made of their having a psychologist, a performance psychologist, or anything else. Yeah. Never once mentioned. And I'm just wondering if you happen to know if most every baseball team has a performance psychologist, every baseball team, only some baseball teams. Do you have any idea? Yeah, I have, a, I have a clear idea. All right. So every major league team is required to have two, and I'll quote, mental skills experts. Okay. Okay. And the reason I make that distinction. It is a requirement. It's it a requirement. It's just a recommendation. No, it's a requirement. Every major league team is required. Have two. To have two mental skills experts. Now, here's the caveat. Mental skills expert, that's up for interpretation. Exactly. Okay. When I worked for the Rockies the year before, their mental skills expert at the major level, because that's where I was at the major league level. Right. We, had, we had another person at the minor league level that traveled around. I sure. worked with just the major league team. The person before me had zero education in psychology and human behavior. 
They were a former pro baseball player who self-proclaimed understanding the mental side of the game. And we see that so much, Sandy, is people that proclaim to know mental enhancement. They proclaim to understand the mental side of the game. Get your head right. So many coaches say that to this day. You go watch a high school football practice, and at any given time you hear a coach say, all right, guys, let's get our head right. Well, what the heck does that really mean to a player who's an adolescent that hasn't been trained how to, quote, unquote, get their head right? That coach probably doesn't even know how to get his head right. So what are you saying to a player? But in Major League Baseball, those two mental skills experts are not required to have any credentials. No degrees? No. Zero. They can be a form. No, I can't. You're telling me my daughter is more qualified. On oh, the she's basis too of her qualified. Degree <laughs> she's to too be qualified. a major league baseball mental skills advisor she's, consultant. Whatever. She's not over. She's not only overqualified credential wise. She's overqualified in every way. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> well, but, I know that. Yeah. So the, the and that's the, the problem because again, here we go again with not knowing what you don't know. Right. What major league baseball should require is two mental health experts that have credentials of at least a master's degree in psychology, sociology, and then also have a certification in how to communicate with other humans, how to be empathetic and relate to people. I have been around so many mental health, quote unquote, experts that don't, that aren't great at communication skills, Sandy. When I took over the Nuggets work, um, they told me they had a guy in there that was from Harvard, and he walked in in a tweed jacket with these wire rim glasses, and they're like, get this guy the heck out of here. He can't relate to any of our players. He can't relate to our coaches. So what we've got to understand is in the, in the mental enhancement field, industry, we've got to put people in place that not only know their content but have the credentials but also know how to relate to people how to use humor, how to be able to understand culture, different cultural backgrounds right. and relate and connect with people. Because if you don't have that, you're not going to get in. You're not going to be the in-group. You're not going to be in the, in the ecosystem, the micro-ecosystem within that team to help them from a mental enhancement perspective. Because whenever you mention psychology and sports, usually people think of pathology, like what's wrong with an athlete. We're way advanced from that. We're, we're proactive now. We're teaching athletes wellness, how to, how to be well at home, off the field, with drugs and alcohol and relationships that, in addition, is going to affect them on the field. So Major League Baseball is right when they require two mental health experts, but they got it wrong because they don't require certain credentials and they don't require each one of their trained people to be really, really good at the relation piece of communicating with pro baseball players. Sandy Clef, Dr. Rick Perea, sitting in for Sean Drotar, who will be returning on Friday. Uh, Dr. Perea referenced uh, coaches often saying to players, maybe during a practice session, get your head into the game. Get your head right. Get your head right. Well, Deion Sanders has apparently been waiting, not days, but weeks for freshman cornerback Carmani McLean to get his head right (laughs) and was asked about in the wake of Travis Hunter's injury, 
why McLean can't get on the field. And the coach had a pretty direct response to all of that, which we will hear next. Sandy Clough, Dr. Rick Perea sitting in for Sean Rotar. This is Mile High Sports 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3. Our caller text line, 303-831-1340. We're streaming on milehighsports.com slash listen. If you want to watch, it's milehighsports.com slash watch. And, of course, we come across the free Mile High Sports app. Our producer is the great Danny Bailey. Stay with us on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. When Travis Hunter went down with a lacerated kidney and it was at the moment the injury was sustained a lot more frightening than that it was actually later disclosed that he had the lacerated kidney but after the hit he took in the colorado colorado state game you feared that it could be much worse in any case uh, he has already missed one full game and he will not be playing on Saturday when USC comes to town to take on the Buffs, and that is a national Fox game once again, Fox pregame show on hand, and the game will start at 10 a.m. Mountain time and probably get a pretty good rating. But the absence of Hunter clearly made a difference in the CSU game and maybe less of a difference against Oregon, which uh, was probably always going to be see you decisively with or without Travis Hunter. But as was pointed out at the time, um, not just by Deion Sanders, but by others, when someone is playing both ways and he's playing most all the snaps offensively and defensively, and even a few odd snaps here and there on special teams, you're losing more than just one player. You're losing perhaps your best defensive player, if not the best player on the team, and he's no worse than Colorado's second-best offensive player as a wide receiver. And a lot of us felt that while early in the season it was understandable that the freshman, Carmani McLean, highly recruited, five-star recruit, was probably not ready to start. When Hunter goes down, you're thinking, well, I mean, it's almost a month into the season. He's certainly got to be ready to play, not like Travis Hunter plays, but but play. Well, wouldn't he be the number three or number four cornerback? Turns out he is far from that, as Sean Keeler wrote in his column today in the Denver Post, headlined, Where's McLean in Coach 
Prime's Doghouse and Sean Keeler himself at this week's Deion Sanders press conference asked the coach what's going on with Brendan Rice of USC coming to town, a five-star true freshman defensive back out of Florida, the assumed tandem partner to Travis Hunter, if not at the beginning of the season, at some point this year, won't he have to get on the field more? Or, maybe more properly phrased, what does McLean have to do to get on the field more? Study, prepare, be on time for meetings, show up to the darn meetings, understand what we're doing as a scheme, want to play this game, desire to play this game, desire to be the best in this game, at practice, in the film room, uh, and on your own, free time. You do know that I check film time for each player upon the week. Thursday, I need film time from the whole staff so I can see who's been preparing. And that's just not about Kamani. That's about a multitude of them. So if I don't see that, that it, you would be a fool to put somebody out there and they're unprepared. Can't do it. Won't do it. Can't do it. I'm old school. I'm sorry. All right. Now, to the uneducated ear, and I have no idea how you feel about this. You're going to tell us in a second. I am the uneducated ear, and I listen to that, and I say, good. He's holding him accountable. He recruited the kid. He obviously loves him as a player. Right. But he is singling him out as perhaps, in his view, the most unprepared player on the CU team at the present time. To me, that sounds like what a coach should do. And, in fact, in this column by Sean Keeler this morning in the Denver Post, McLean's mentor says that's the Mickey Andrews and Coach Prime. Old school. Now, Mickey Andrews, for those not familiar, the much-venerated ex-Florida State defensive coordinator back in the day for whom Deion Sanders played, along with, of course, head coach Bobby Bowden at Florida State. And Sanders has long said that he takes many of his uh, coaching philosophies from Mickey Andrews. Right. So let me preface this by saying, obviously, I'm a psychologist, and one of my, our jobs as a psychologist is to get to the underlying meaning of things, not just the surface. That's what all the lay people do is they just talk about the surface. We go underneath the influence of communication, the influence of behavior. Old school coaching in football, I've been around football my whole life as a player, coach, and as a psychologist is structure, accountability, and discipline. That's old school, okay? Old school is not exploitation. Let me give you an example. So what Dion could have said is he has not met our expectations as a student athlete. In the classroom, on the football field, in the training room, in the pra- on, on the film. But to sit there and say he doesn't want to play, he doesn't love the game, that's way oversimplistic and and it may very well be inaccurate because a kid can love to play football, Sandy, and still be unmotivated. There may be something personal 
going on in his life. And for a head coach to make that assertion that he doesn't love the game and he doesn't want to play the game, I am offended by that because that is oversimplistic. That kid may have something personal really going on in his life, and I'm not excusing it. I'm not saying he should put him out on the field if he's not showing up to meetings, if he is coming in late, if he's not you know, watching as much tape as he should. But you do not know. You're not the team psychologist. You're not the team uh, chaplain who knows the underpinnings of what's going on in his life. You don't know if he wants to play. You don't know if he loves to play the game. What you can safely say is he has not met our expectations, and until he does, he won't take the field. Here's what his mentor said, though. And okay. I, I bet supposedly his, his, his mentor is not a psychologist, but his mentor loves the kid. He's his mentor. I know what's going on. This is the mentor. Okay. And having been around Carmani, I think he's got all types of God-given ability. Now, uh, Samari Roll, I believe his name is pronounced, a former NFL Pro Bowl cornerback. Yep. Ian McLean, you know him. Yep. You've heard of him. Yep. He and McLean uh, have worked together for a long time. And he continues, and I think it can be frustrating when you're coaching him and he's not putting it all together. Now, this is his man, and he doesn't really get a lot more specific than that. Uh, he continues, I think that was a nice way, the soundbite we just heard, of saying this kid needs to keep working hard. Um, that's his mentor. Not really getting specific, but no. saying this guy doesn't always apply himself. He's got God-given ability. He wouldn't be a five-star recruit if he didn't have God-given ability. Right. But he doesn't always work hard and I I guess I, I I would take from what Sanders said there that yes he monitors the amount of study time the player is putting in but that's happening through the position coach sure. slash defensive coordinator could I be mean, an he's intern. a CEO he's a CEO coach yeah who as you've noted it does not know everything there is to know about every player, although you would think he would know more about his prized five-star recruit. Yeah, sure. The best recruit he had coming into Colorado in his yeah. first year. Uh, but it's it's interesting, though, that the mentor can't really provide much more insight except to say, I understand why Deion Sanders is upset with a kid, and sometimes he doesn't as – was quoted there, put it all together, Yeah, whatever but, that means. Yeah, but with all due respect, even the mentor, even, you know, the uh, role, his, the people that he's trained with, they're not psychologists. They don't understand the influence of behavior. And what I'm here to tell you is, having worked with athletes at all levels, high school, college, and the NFL, for many years, NBA, Major League Baseball, I'm here to tell you there's a multitude of reasons of why players underachieve. And it's not always hard work. It's not always motivation. There are other things that are influencing their brain. There are other things that are influencing their autonomic nervous system, which determines, by the way, 
how the body receives stress and anxiety. We got to understand that. There's so much ignorance out there in coaches that don't understand the neck up. And so what I say that to this player is there may be something going on beyond that. If they're ever, you know, if they come in as a five-star recruit, they're expected to compete early and potentially play and potentially start, right. and they're not, okay, then that's on us as a coaching staff. Let's not point the finger at the kid. That kid's probably 18 years old, maybe, maybe 19. Let's not point the finger at the kid. Let's look at the way we develop our players. And that's not just the neck down for working hard. My goodness, it's the neck up for understanding who he is. What's his cultural background? What's his, his, what's his influence from his high school team? The mentors well, know just because there's a mentor doesn't mean that they have insight into his human behavior. Well, here's more. And this is Roll again. It's just time to grow up. Now, Roll was defensive coordinator for McLean South Florida Express, a national seven-on-seven power, two summers ago. And time to buckle up. I mean, these are all cliches. Right. I understand it doesn't really tell you very much. And once he does all that, I think you'll see the player that he has the time to be, but you can't rush it. Everybody develops at a different rate, Thank at you. a different pace. Okay, that that seems I can like, drink that. like a good point. Now, uh, th- this is Keeler now. McLean's family sounds willing to wait this out for better or for worse. If you're worried about money, his nickname, I guess, bolting Boulder in frustration, Roll says he can't see it. His source, McLean's mom, Takesha, we ran into at the Rocky Mountain Showdown and recalled her saying that she was definitely not upset with CU. How does he like it, Roll asked. It's great. He's fine. We like it. Trust me, they're going to do what's best for him. I know, I know. This is his mom. Right. But his mom doesn't even know, okay? I mean, let's be honest here. There's so many biased parties in this whole thing. And, you know, for Roll to say he just, at some point you have to grow up and, and buckle up, Yeah. that's an oversimplistic term. Again, again, we know nowhere in the American Psychological Association do we find the term buckle up in human behavior, okay? But I get what he's saying. I'm not being sarcastic there. I get what he's saying. What he needs to do is have someone work with him from the mental side of the game to make sure he's getting all of his needs met, to make sure that emotionally he's getting all his needs met. Because here's the reality. If you don't get all your needs met emotionally, psychologically, you will never be to your potential from the neck down. I'll say this. How many students out there, and for all of you listening and watching, if you went to college and let's say you had a, a biology test, what if you went into a biology test and the, and the professor said, you know what, even if you get every answer right, you're still going to get 70%. You would not accept that. But yet there's athletes every day, every Friday night in high school, every Saturday in college, every Sunday in the NFL that are playing to 70% of their potential because all they work on is the neck down. They don't work on the yeah. neck up, which will release that other 30%. So, I would say so many people in this party are speaking from an ignorant standpoint. And let's look at the root word of ignorant. It's ignore. They're ignoring some information, and they're ignoring the expertise of a mental health expert. This is a terrific comment. Keeler talks to a lot of different people, and there are a couple more people he talks to. Uh, I think, especially without Hunter in the lineup, their best defensive player is the graduate transfer, the linebacker, Juwan Mitchell. 
who, as it happened, roomed, at least on the trip to TCU, with McLean. And his first reaction was, darn, they roomed me with a freshman. But he goes on to talk about McLean, and then Roll has a final comment, which we'll hear about next on My High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. I'm Sandy Clough, and Chandro Tar will be returning on Friday. Doc, Dr. P. I'm Dr. P. Dr. Rick Perea sitting in for Chandro Tar. And uh, we are talking about uh, the Kermani McLean situation, the freshman cornerback, five star recruit. Uh, the star of Deion Sanders' first recruiting class at the University of Colorado and understanding that Deion Sanders was hired in early December of 2022, uh, no fair-minded person would fault him for not having, uh, in 2023, a top five, top 10, even top 20, top 25, top 50 recruiting class, and he doesn't. But McLean was the five-star recruit out of this class, and even with Travis Hunter being injured, playing opportunities for McLean, even during the blowout at Oregon on Saturday, few and far between. But before we get to the last two quotes that I mentioned before the break, Rick, um, I know there's a term you hate, and it was in the headline of Sean Keeler's column today, doghouse. Yeah. McLean is in Coach Prime's doghouse. Yeah. You it, hate doghouse. I do because that term is, first, it's it's a few things. It's dogmatic, which means there's no uh, opportunity for discussion. And, again, the headline is, where's McLean in Coach Prime's doghouse? Yeah. It, it's it's very over, it's oversimplistic. Um, and it doesn't allow for openness um, for change, for dialogue. When you're in someone's doghouse, it means you have to basically fight to get out. Um, there's not a proverbial doghouse that exists. But <laughs> now that I think about it, Sandy, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, and I and I say this with all sincerity. You know, since he's got a throne on the sidelines, maybe the next thing he'll have is a doghouse on the sidelines so he can put a player next in to the throne. Yeah, next to the throne. I, I mean, nothing would surprise me with, with this staff. But the doghouse is of such an oversimplistic term because it doesn't take into accountability the individual, the context, the individual's variables in terms of their what what's going on with them. Maybe it's a lack of communication. Maybe it's a lack of effort. Maybe it's a lack of understanding scheme. Maybe it's yeah. uh, you know maybe they're playing the player out of position. You know what, Sandy? There are so many coaches at all levels, including the NFL, that play players out of position. And sometimes it's intentionally, but sometimes they make poor decisions in what position to play them at. And so, you know, I'll never forget this. Think of this. When I was coaching high school football here in Colorado, I, was, I coached for over 18 years. 
my mic at this one, one particular school, my mic, starting Mike linebacker goes up to Wyoming and he plays di- defensive end called a five technique. The Steelers sign him as a fullback. Mike, defensive end, fullback. Coaches have different perception levels of where to play players. So it's the, the proverbial doghouse doesn't exist in my brain because we analyze per athlete performance at a much deeper level. That's a label. That's like calling a three-year-old kid shy. It's one of the worst things we can do to a child to call him shy. Call him quiet. When he's three. Right. Call him quiet because that's accurate. Or she's three. Yeah, but shy is a label. It's an umbrella. And when that kid puts their head on their pillow at night, they're going to go, my goodness, you know, I I am shy because mom even said it. Or my teacher said, or and my the, coach. The, again, the implication is there's something wrong. With there's me. something wrong with me. And so when you label as someone in the doghouse, that's way over yeah. simplistic. Now, again, that's the headline. That's the headline. And and, and Deion Sanders doesn't write the headline, and Sean Keeler, I, I don't think, writes the headline, although I don't know what's going on at the Denver Post these days. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Uh, traditionally, uh, the writer does not write the headline. The headline is uh, uh, written by someone who reads and perhaps edits. But can I give you an example, Sandy, of what I mean by sure. a different, uh, an athlete, how it varies from athlete to athlete. So this kid comes from the state of Florida. He, he moves two-thirds across the country. He goes from maybe a community that's very diverse, which South Florida is very diverse. You know it well. I know it well. I lived in Fort Lauderdale. Um, and then you come to Boulder, Colorado, that's 1.1% black. black. Correct. And you so there's cultural changes. Right. What if the kid is very sensitive emotionally, more so than other kids? Does he have that right to be who he is? Absolutely. Some people might say, well, buckle up. Maybe that's what Roll's talking about is yeah. buckle up and just play. Yeah. Some of the most sensitive players I've ever been around are some of the best players around if they're understood and if mm-hmm. their pedagogy, their coaching from the coaches yeah. reaches them at where they're at. You can't coach all players the same. It's just like the greatest teachers in the world, Sandy. We've talked about this. The greatest teachers in the world, their delivery system, we call it it a pedagogical delivery system, how you teach doesn't just reach the auditory learners, the visual learners, but the kinesthetic learners. Some people need to touch things to learn. They're tactile. Football players are no different. They have to learn in different ways. Auditory, and different visual. ways to process yes. information. And and some players are really sensitive mm-hmm. players emotionally and psychologically. And you got to recognize that, recognize that as a coaching staff and deliver the content and the message in your teachings in a way that yeah. reaches them. And uh, listen, Deion Sanders is a cornerback. And um, I, I don't pretend to know everything there is to know about Deion Sanders, but I do know this because it's a matter of reputation and everybody, every coach who's been around Deion Sanders said the same thing. Deion Sanders was a film nut. Study more film than any other player. Mm-hmm. Now, through all the flash and everything else, yeah. that was the substance of Deion Sanders as a player. There was a reason he was in the right place at the right time yep. so often. He studied film more than anybody else. He studied film the way Peyton Manning <laughs> film from a cornerback yeah, perspective, it. right? And so, again, I'm thinking uh, the, the old line about Lombardi, 
that offensive lineman had was that Lombardi was tougher on offensive linemen because he was one, and the guard said he was tougher on guards because he was one, Mm -hmm. and Jerry Kramer, the great right guard who finally got into the Hall of Fame a few years ago, said he was the toughest on me because I was a right guard and Lombardi (laughs) was a right guard at Fordham. Mm -hmm. Henry Jordan had a great line on Lombardi because it was funny, not because it was true. And the line was this, Lombardi treats us all the same, like dogs. And David Marinus, who wrote the Lombardi biography, says, great line and completely untrue. Mm. Completely untrue. Lombardi treated every player different. Yeah, yeah. Every player. And the reason he got on Kramer so much is Kramer responded to that. Guys who didn't respond to that, he didn't get on. Yeah. You know, he left them alone. Yeah. Bart Starr told the story one time early in Lombardi's tenure in Green Bay where Lombardi in front of the team called Starr out for a mistake he had made. I think a bad pass he had thrown in practice or something. And so the practice ends, and Starr goes down to Lombardi's office, and he said, listen, coach, behind closed doors like this, you can let me have it any time you want. But if you want me to lead your team, you can't shoot me out in yeah. front of the players you're expecting me to lead. And Lombardi looks at him and says, you're right. Yeah. And Starr said, never again. In six, seven more years he spent with Lombardi. Lombardi never called him out in front of the team. Like yeah. Again. Yeah. 100%. You know, it reminds me of my defensive coordinator in college. Um, he made an adjustment to me and he, we still to this day, I mean, I just, I just went to one of our defensive back coach in college to his funeral and saw coach. And, and when we went to Canton, Ohio, coach Jacobs, my defense coordinator from college, um, lives in Ohio. So he came up and had lunch with me and the boys. So I still see him on a regular basis after all these years. Um, I noticed that coach would pull me in on my off hours in college, um, what we called work study. And him and I would go in the locker room, and he'd sit there with a legal pad, those yellow pads, and he'd start out and just draw a circle and then point over here a circle, and he'd start talking about leadership, communication skills. By the time that hour was over, that whole piece of paper was full of ink. And I tell people this, it had nothing to do with football, but everything to do with football. And what Coach understood is he would tell me later, he goes, I saw you were a sensitive kid. Now, Sandy, you know me really well. You're yeah. one of my best friends. You know me well. There's a reason I'm, as, I'm good as a psychologist because I am sensitive. I am caring. I do love people. I am willing to be vulnerable and show my feelings to all people, not just to my close circle, to all people. There's a reason why I'm a psychologist, but he recognized that I was sensitive. When I was in college, he recognized that sometimes I'd get my feelings hurt out there on the field when he tore into me. So what did he do? He brought me in one-on-one, and he built me up. He fortified me. He had a strategy that whole time. He didn't do that with all the players. And so, you know, we still talk to this day, like, you know, he met me where I was at. That's the sign of a great teacher and a great coach. And what doesn't come through in this column. It's not the column's fault. He, he's doing the best he can, quoting yeah. the people who know Carmani McLean best. Right. And that would be his mentor, his mom, uh, 
his roommate this year yeah. on, on the road at the University of Colorado. He's a great kid, uh, uh, Juwan Mitchell, uh, who's a terrific player. And we'll get to what Juwan Mitchell had to say about McLean, which I think in some ways supports what you've been saying. And a, a final comment from uh, uh, his uh, mentor, uh, who was uh, uh, NFL Pro Bowl cornerback uh, named Samari Roll, uh, who was a defensive coordinator uh, on a seven-on-seven team called the South Florida Express, on which Carmani McLean played before he came uh, to the University of Colorado's five-star recruit. That's all coming next. Sandy and Sean, Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3, or call or text line 303-31-1340. We're streaming on milehighsports.com slash listen or milehighsports.com slash watch and the free Mile High Sports app. Our producer is the great Danny Bailey, and we continue with our final hour next. There's LA, but it's always kind of sunny out, and I don't want to hurt no more. So I set my bar real low.